good to be back with you guys. And Bob did a great job last week. And, and uh, he talked about uh, Joseph and Joseph's dreams. And, and sometimes we uh, have God speak to us through our dreams. Amen. Uh, uh, how many of you guys have had a dream where God spoke to something to you in that dream? Well, we see it all throughout Scripture. Uh, we see God speaking to his people in dreams. It's one of the ways that he speaks to us. Not, not the only way, but, but sometimes we even see ungodly kings being told in a dream what's going to come in the future so they can prepare the kingdom. Classic example. You see uh, Pharaoh in the Old Testament. God gives Pharaoh a dream, and there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, and, and we see that. We see uh, the kings of Babylon having dreams and visions, and, and Daniel interprets those dreams for them, and it's about things that are going to come uh, to prepare those kings and those kings or warn those kings about what's going on. And so uh, God uses dreams. Uh, in the New Testament, we see where God speaks to uh, Joseph in a dream, not, not the Old Testament Joseph, but Mary and Joseph, Jesus's uh, father, uh, not biological father, of course, but uh, you know, he says in a dream to Joseph, this child that Mary's carrying is of me. It's, she hadn't been fooling around, so take her as your wife and care for her as you are to. Uh, so we see dreams all throughout. So I, I remember uh, studying a lot about dreams when I was single and thinking, you know, that's kind of a cool way that God speaks to us. Um, and this was about the time that God was trying to get through my thick skull that Fran was the one I was going to marry. And she'd been praying for me. She already knew in her heart that she wanted to marry me. And I was not hearing anything. And so she said, at that time, Mark, I was really praying for you that God would speak to you. And so um, he starts getting through this thick skull of mine. But he, one of the things he used was, it was a dream. And I had this dream and, uh, you know, Fran and I had been working together. We were doing campus ministry at the time and, and uh, we were both on staff. And so uh, she was just my sister in the Lord. She was my dear friend. She was somebody that I greatly respected in ministry and thought was, was the most amazing person I'd ever met. Um, but she was just my sister. I never thought, you know, we would get married or should be married or anything like that. That just wasn't happening at that point. So God starts chiseling away and, and speaking to me. But one of the things he, he used was a dream. So uh, quickly, I'll tell you about the dream. So here I am talking to somebody. Uh, Steve says, like, I'm talking to you. I'm just talking to somebody. Uh, and I, I was talking about Fran in my dream. And I said, you know, I just, I just don't think Fran would want to marry me. Why would I marry Fran? She, she wouldn't want to marry me. So out of my peripheral vision, I see this commotion. And in my dream, it's actually Fran going, hey, hey, look over here. Yeah, I want to marry you. And I was like, oh, well, maybe, maybe she would. Maybe that would be something she would want to do. So anyway, I woke up from the dream, and, and uh, that was just one of those things God used. But dreams are, are, are amazing uh, in the sense that sometimes God uses dreams to help us along in our journey. Um, and they can be good dreams. But uh, then sometimes you can have bad dreams uh, we call those uh, bad dreams, or if they're really intense, if they're really horrible, if they're really horrific, we call them what? A nightmare, right? Yeah, so you wake up sometimes and you've had just a terrible dream, and, and we call those nightmares. Sometimes when we don't have a dream, we use that term, we use that phrase to, to speak of something that we would not want to happen to us, something that we would dread. So if you hear somebody say, Mark, that was my worst nightmare, or that is my worst nightmare. It doesn't necessarily mean they've had this horrible dream, but they're thinking about what would be the worst case scenario of something that would happen in my life. And we use that term nightmare to describe, Mark, that would be my worst nightmare if that happened. So uh, in the life of David, we find that something happens to him. And I would classify it if I could talk to David, I would probably say, David, would that be your worst nightmare? 
and I would probably hear him say, yeah, Mark, that, that was my worst nightmare. So we're going to look at this in, in Scripture. It's in, in uh, chapter 30 of 1 Samuel. But we read a lot about David in the Old Testament. Samuel has a lot to say, 1 Kings. And, and we, so we know a lot about this wonderful character from the Old Testament. And actually, this week and next week, we're going to talk about some, some events in the life of David. Fran's going to talk about it next week. Um, and so today, let me set the story up, and then we'll get into the actual verses. But, but in chapter 30, we're, we're going to come into this scenario that is, becomes David's worst nightmare, and what does David do in response to that? But, but, but backing up and trying to give you the context, in chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, we see that David has been running from Saul. Uh, you might remember David was a shepherd boy, and, uh, and David was, was a powerful man of God, loved the Lord, and um, he's going to check on his brothers, and, and they're in a battle with the Philistines. The Philistines live kind of near the coastline, and, and the Israelites are kind of more, in, in, and so they're, they're always battling, and so there's one particular battle um, where Goliath comes on the scene, and, and so David is going to go check on his brothers, take some provisions, and he hears Goliath taunting the armies of God, and, and he says, what's going to happen? Do I, I won't, I won't anybody fight this guy. And and if you don't know the story, it's a great story. Chapter 17, read about that. Well, David kills Goliath. And then Saul puts David in in his uh, court. He's he's one of uh, David's servants. David becomes one of Saul's servants and he's he's working for Saul. And he's also a great warrior. So uh, there's battles that David's winning and there's people that are uh, attributing David to to, to great feats of of, uh, military prowess. And so uh, songs begin to be written about David. And one of the songs that we find out are written that the women sing is Saul, who's the king, has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. So Saul is starting to get a little intimidated by David. He's getting a little jealous of David because they're writing songs about Saul killing only a thousand, but David killing ten thousand. So so they're starting to become a little animosity between Saul and David, not on David's part, but on Saul's part. And so we find that the king, because of insecurities, now wants to kill David. So he attempts to kill him at least twice, throwing a spear at David. And David begins to say, you know what, if if I'm going to live, I need to leave. I need to leave the palace. I need to leave. And so Saul's son, Jonathan, and David become dear, dear friends. And David basically says to Jonathan, man, I got to go. And and so he leaves. He flees. And what does Saul do? Saul pursues him. Tries, he hunts him down like a dog, wants to kill David, which d- doesn't make any sense to me other than great insecurity in Saul's life. But he tries to kill David, and so David gets to the point where he's tired of running from Saul, and he finally decides in chapter 27, I'm going to leave the, the comfortable, comfortable area of, of, of the Canaanite, of, of the Israelites, and I'm going to go into the land of the Philistines because Saul is not going to pursue me to kill me if I go into the country of the Philistines. And so that's what David decides to do. Now, in the, in the time of all of this that's happening, because of David's military expertise and all of his fame and everything, there are 600 men, valiant warriors, that have attached themselves to David. So it's not only David leaving and David fleeing from Saul, but there's all these people who believe in David, who are supportive of David, who love David, and, and, and they're going with him. So he's got 600 men fantastic warriors and their families. And David has two wives at this time that go with him. Now, this is the time before, you know, God says only one wife, one husband, that kind of thing. So this was uh, in the Old Testament time, many many wives. So David goes into the land of the Philistines. And guess what city he goes to? He goes to Gath. Now, who is famous that lives in the city of Gath? Goliath, right? And who killed Goliath? 
David. So here's David leaving uh, the, whole, the, the, the place where the Israelites live, goes into enemy territory to the a- actual town of the champion of the Philistines that David had killed himself. So David goes into this enemy territory, lives in, in Gath, and the king of Gath becomes uh, endeared to David. And, uh, you know, I would think that the king of Gath would say, hey, you're the guy who killed Goliath, one of our greatest warriors in the history of all of our armies. You know, you're not welcomed here. But he welcomes David. And so David, we find out, stays here a year and four months. So he's in the, the land of the Philistines for over a year. He's hanging out there, and, and he finally says, listen, I, I, Gath is okay, but I, I need another place to live with all of my men. So the king gives him this town called Zeklag. Zeklag. So David and his men and all of their families live in the town of Zeklag. And so what David begins to do, because he's there and Saul's not pursuing him anymore... He starts saying, wow, I I think I'm going to continue to help my countrymen. So he starts making raids on some of the enemy territories of the Israelites and starts conquering all of those little towns around him. And so the king of Gath says, hey, where you been today, David? David said, oh, I was going into the Israelite country and I was, you know, warring with some of the Israelites, which was a lie, which I don't know how God jab that. But, but the bottom line, so now the king of, of Gath thinks, you know, David is odious in the sight of the Israelites, his people. He's been raiding them. He's been battling with them. And so now the king starts thinking, well, David truly is no longer a Hebrew and he's in his loyalties. He's, he's kind of one of our guys. Well, the, uh, the, the Israelites and the, and the Philistines continue to battle and we find that they're going to have this massive war and so Zeklag is contacted, David is contacted, and he says, uh, the king of Gath says, I want you to come over with your men, and I want you to fight with us, because you're one of ours. I want you actually to be my bodyguard. So, so David agrees, and he goes with the king of Gath, and he goes to meet the Philistines where they're encamped, and here's the Israelites, and they're all encamped there, and, and David and his guys are hanging out there, and, and the Israelites are hanging out here. Well, some of the Philistines recognize David and say to the king of, of Gath, isn't that David? And he said, yeah, yeah, that's David. He's been hanging out with me. He, he's cool. He, he's on our side. You know, he's, he's actually going to personally protect me. And the Philistines said, no way. Are you kidding? That's the guy who killed Goliath. That's the guy that they sing the song about. Saul has killed his thousands, but David is 10,000. You know who they're talking about? The 10,000s of us. And so the lords of the Philistines said, you're not going to have this guy, David, hanging out with us. You're not going to have him go to war against his people with us because he's probably going to turn in the middle of battle and kill us rather than kill them. What are you thinking? Mark McGonigal translation. All right, so, so now we get to the point where the king of Gath says, David, I'm sorry, partner. You're on, you know, I know you love me. I know you're for me, but you know what? These guys aren't going to let you fight. And David's saying, what did I do wrong? Now, God would say, you did a lot of things against them. And so they don't know this, David, but, but, but the bottom line, he said, what did I do wrong? Acting like he's innocent, like he hadn't done anything to the Philistines. Uh, and, and so he says, okay, I'll go back home. So David and his 600 men leave the camp of the Philistines and go back to Zeklag, and it takes them a couple of days, and that's where we're going to pick up in chapter uh, 30, and you've got it in your bulletin. Uh, It says, then it happened when David and his men came to Zeklag on the third day, so it took them three days to go from where they were camping with the Philistines to get to their home, Zeklag, 
the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites come from uh, um, this long line of, of, of warriors. They, they were fierce warriors. They were, they were um, uh, intense warriors. And when Moses brought the people out of Egypt and they're starting to go to the Holy Land, uh, the Amalekites, Amalek, the Amalekites attack the Hebrew people and war against them. And that's where you see uh, Moses holding up the staff. And as long as Moses holds his hands up, then the Israelites prevail against the Amalekites. But when his hands come down, then the Amalekites began to, to win the war. So Moses has Joshua leading the, the team. And so uh, to keep Moses' hands up, her and Aaron sit there. And you remember the story from Exodus? And so as long as Moses holds his arm up, then, then they, so they prevail against the Amalekites. But because of their hatred for the Hebrew people, God remembers that. And basically, um, you see all throughout the history, gonna, there's going to be war against the Amalekites. It gets to the point where in Judges, they're continuing to harass God's people. They're continuing to, to war against God's people. And finally, God tells Saul, the first king who's been chasing David, through Samuel the prophet, he says, all right, Samuel, you go tell Saul, I want you to completely annihilate the Amalekites. You are the one who's going to pronounce my judgment on this people because of their warring against my, my chosen people, and I want you to utterly destroy them everything. Now that's kind of harsh. How can God say that? Well, God is, we find out that the Amalekites were not only wicked, not only great warriors, but, but they were very perverted. And so God says, I want you to destroy them. So you might remember the story. Saul goes to do that and he keeps the livestock so he can offer sacrifices. He keeps the king and all that. And, and so he doesn't utterly destroy him. And so Samuel, the prophet comes and says, Saul, man, what what, what were you thinking? Why didn't you do what God told you to do? He goes, oh, man, I did. We, we, we wiped out the Amalekites. And, and Samuel says, well, why do I hear all these sheep? You know, what, what's all this livestock doing that belongs to them? And he goes, oh, no, no, I just wanted to offer sacrifices to God. And God says, I would rather have obedience than sacrifice. And so you might remember the story. But, but basically, God said, I want this people group annihilated off the face of the earth. And so Saul didn't do that. And that's why God said to Saul, because you didn't obey me, because you don't reverence me, because you're not doing what I'm asking you to do, I'm going to take the kingdom from you, and I'm going to give it to somebody more worthy. And that person was David. So anyway, we find out that the Amalekites, this people group that have been warring against Israel for, for, for you know, eternity, um, have made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag. And they have overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all that were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. Verse 3, and when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Verse 4, and David and the people who were with him, these 600 valiant warriors, lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Verse 5. Now, David's two wives had been taken captive in verse 6. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him for all the people who were embittered against him, each one because of his sons and his daughters. And we'll stop there and we'll get to the punchline. So can you imagine a worse nightmare? You come back to your town. It is burned with fire. 
your relatives, your family, everybody you love has been taken. You don't know what's happened to them. And the people that were so loyal to you, your best friends in the world who've, who shed blood on the battlefield with you, these 600 men are weeping and there's no more strength in them to weep. And then because of their remorse and their grief and their loss, because of their children, their families, their wives, now they're turning their hatred or their, their grief turns to hatred toward David and they're speaking of putting David to death by stoning him. That is a horrible way to die. I can only imagine how it hurts to hit, get hit by rocks until you're dead. Can you imagine a worse nightmare? You lose your family, your best friends turn on you, and they want to kill you. That is, that is, in a nutshell, is David's nightmare. Horrible situation, terrible things that happened to him. But what does David do? What do we do <clears throat> in the midst of a horrible situation in life? When things don't go our way, when things go worse than not going our way, when things turn from bad to even worse, what do we do? What would David do? What should David do? What did he do? Let's find out. And this is at the very end of chapter, uh, verse 6. I love this. But, however, yet, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That word there talks about growing strong. That word there talks about being encouraged. That, that word there talks about gathering courage and strength, fortifying, being strong. What David does in the midst of his nightmare, what David did in the midst of his grief, in the midst of his loss, in the, in the midst of his distress about his friends wanting to kill him, David turns to God and says, God, I love you, God, I, and he strengthens himself in the Lord as God. He doesn't blame God. He doesn't get mad at God and say, God, why did this happen to me? God, I've been faithful to you. You promised me to be the king, all this kind of stuff. He doesn't go to God with anger. He goes to God to draw strength. He goes to God to draw encouragement. And I can only imagine how David did this because when I think about what I would do and what David might have done in the Psalms that he writes, he probably began to remember who God is that he serves. He began to recall the great mighty acts of God, how God had created the heavens and the earth by speaking that word. He began to talk about how in his mind he began to rehearse, I'm sure, all the great things that God had done through Abraham and through Isaac and through Jacob and through Moses. And he begins to say, God, you are mighty. God, you are awesome. God, you are ever present. God, you are my refuge. You are my strong tower. God, you are the one in whom I trust. When I wake up in the morning, you're the one I want to talk to. When I go to sleep at night, you're the one I'm thinking about. God, you are holy. God, you are awesome. He begins to think about God. He begins to pray to God. He begins to remind himself of who God is. And as he did that, what happened? Oh, he got strong. He got emboldened. Oh my gosh, he got great courage. And he became the leader that these 600 men need. And so what he did, he went to the priest and he said, give me the ephrod, give me this the special, the breastplate that goes. And he goes to God and it says he inquires of the Lord. So he spent time with God, praising God and, and probably singing the songs that he wrote as a shepherd boy. He spent that time with God and, and God encouraged him, God strengthened him. And then he went to God and said, what do I do? What do I do? He didn't go to God first and say, God, what's going on? Why'd you do this to me? He went to God and strengthened himself in the Lord, encouraged himself in the Lord. And then when he was fully in God's presence, fully uh, surrendered to God, he says, what do I do? And God responds to David. Verse eight, pursue 
for you shall surely overtake them. You shall surely rescue all. And I'm sure David jumped up with joy. I'm sure David said, yes, yes, yes. And so he told his 600 man, he said, guess what? I just spoke to God and God said to follow those guys, pursue those guys. And guess what? We're going to get everybody back. We're going to rescue every single person. So you take courage in God because God is for us and who can be against us? You take courage in God because God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. You take your courage and put your trust in God. And that's what they did. So these 600 men girded up their loins and they pursued. And they pursued and they followed and they tracked them. And as they're tracking the Amalekites, they find this man. He's, he's like half dead, and they wake him up, and, and they find out he's an Egyptian that had been a servant of one of the Malachite leaders, and, and the guy had left him for dead because he'd gotten sick, and he'd been there three days without eating anything or drinking anything. The guy's half dead, and so they give him some food, and they give him some water, and they say, who are you, and where are you from? Where are you from? And he says, listen, I'm, I'm a guy from Egypt, and I, I've been the servant of this Amalekite, and They've been making all these raids and they've been conquering all these cities and they burned Zeglag with fire and, and, uh, and, they, and they've got all, all this wealth and all this stuff and, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to survive. And they said, show us where they went. And he said, I'll do that, but man, don't give me back to my master. You know? And David said, cool, I won't do that. So they finally come up on the Amalekites. And there they are. It says they're just spread out all over the place. And they're eating and they're drinking and they're celebrating all the victories that they've had and all the livestock they've conquered and, and all the families that they've taken captive. And so David and his men make an attack and they begin to slaughter and they begin to pronounce the judgment that God wanted Saul to pronounce on these guys. And it, he says uh, in, in verse 18 that David... 17, David slaughtered them from twilight until the next day. Uh, not a man escaped except for 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. Verse 18, so David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, all the spoil they were able to recover. Doesn't that make you want to just shout and sing, man, God was good to David. He was good to David. And, and, and I think that in, you, in, in my life and in your life, when we come upon difficult times, when we come upon hard situations, when, when things might even be our worst nightmare, what do we do? Let's don't blame God. Let's don't get mad at God. Let's go to God for encouragement. Um, Fran and I had a situation that uh, happened to us years and years ago concerning one of our daughters and, 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 and it was a, it was one of our worst nightmares. And, uh, and so in the midst of that, um, God came and met us in that time of, of uncertainty and, and saw us through and, and this daughter's doing great. She's doing great, but that was a, that was a difficult situation. And Fran and I had to heavily lean upon God during that time. And we did. And God, we felt that strength that only God can provide. We, we felt that assurance, just like God said, you will not lose any of them. You will regain everybody back. You, we just had this confidence that that, that was going to happen for us, and, and it did. And so my encouragement for all of us is, 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 you know, when we read the scriptures and we see men and women, they make good decisions, make bad decisions, but what can we learn from them? For me, I can learn from David lots of different things, but especially in this particular story of David's worst situation in life, verse 6, at the end of that verse, he strengthened himself, he encouraged himself 
in the Lord. If we don't do anything for the rest of our life when it comes to dealing with difficult times, let's definitely make sure we do that. That we go to God and we allow God to strengthen us. But I think there has to be that initial step to him. And, and I, I believe remembering, our, I believe recalling what God has done, reminding ourselves of those faithful times, and then, then that just strengthens us. Uh, and let me give you a perfect example of how that happened. So remember in chapter 17, I referenced that. That's when David killed Goliath. When David stands before Saul and, and David says, I can take this dude. And, and Saul is like, David, you're a youth. And Goliath, he's over nine feet tall. He's been a warrior since he was a youth. So why, why do you think you can take him? And I think David recalled, David remembered, because this was his response. He said, when I was watching my dad's sheep, a lion came to kill him, and the Lord gave me the strength, and I killed the lion. And then there was another time when I was watching the sheep, and a bear came to kill the sheep, and God gave me the strength, and I killed the bear. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who taunts the armies of God? He will be just like the bear and just like the lion. God will provide for me what I need to take care of this enemy of God. And so, so David recalled, David remembered, David rehearsed, here's what God did, here's God's faithfulness. And so when he does that, when you and I do that, we get bold, we get strong, we get encouraged. And so in the midst of our difficult times, in the midst of our worst nightmares, remembering and recalling and, and, and reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness and knowing that God is consistent, knowing that God is faithful, is for me the answer that I always want to run to, the, 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 the habit that I always want to engage in. And when things are going great, we want to continue to do that as well. Not just say, oh, only when bad times I do that, but, but always continue uh, to live in that. Let it be a habit of what we do. Uh, early in my Christian walk, when I uh, felt called to preach, uh, you know, before I would preach sermons, a lot of times I would, I would like to pace the floor and I would just begin to preach to myself, not the sermon I was going to preach, but I would, just, I would just talk to myself about who God is. And I would remind myself of God's faithfulness. And I would quote scripture. And I would just, I would just spend time with God. And, and it's not like getting psyched for, a, for a, 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 a sporting event. But in a sense, it is. It's, it's like gearing up. It's, it's like recharging my battery. It's like letting God be who God is in my life. And so you're just so so confident in who God is that, that, that you... Uh, exude just, just God, God's power, God's strength. And that's what David had to do for these mighty men. Uh, there's so much more to the story. And as you read that, you see how God uh, uses David to, to provide for, for, the, for the 200 that didn't go. There's 400 that went. And, and there's more to the story. But, but, but the, the thing that I want to leave you with this morning as we prepare for communion is this. God is on our side when we are on his side through Christ He's our Father in heaven. He's, he's, our, he's our God. And, and when he creates us, he's on our side. But if we're not walking with him, then we, we don't tap into all that God has for us. And so in Christ, um, man, he's for us and not against us. And, and when things aren't going our way or when things are bad, you know, he, it's not that he's forsaken us. It's not that he's turned his back on us. It's not that he says, I don't love you anymore. It's like, trust in me. Lean on me. Let me be strong for you in the midst of this difficult situation, in the midst of your nightmare. Don't run from me, but run to me. 
And let me show you how awesome I can be in providing for you. Amen? Amen.